Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 30th. As promised on today's earlier show, we know our job here at Cracked Rackets is to keep all of you tennis fans up to date on everything that's happening at the year's second major, the 2023 French Open. That's why we promised a two-mini break Tuesday to play catch-up on everything that's unfolded thus far. Of course, Roland Garros, unique in the sense that the first three days of competition are all first round matches as such after this podcast we hope all of you tennis fans will feel up to date on everything that's happened through round one at Roland Garros but perhaps more importantly we hope you'll all feel prepared for the rest of the madness as it transpires of course on this show I'm going to focus on day three's action the actual play we saw here on Tuesday and let me say I think Tuesday provided our first significant result of the tournament as we saw the number two seat in the men's singles draw knocked out. Daniil Medvedev knocked out by Tiago Shabethville. Now, I'm going to butcher that pronunciation throughout the duration of this podcast. Obviously, though, that's the biggest storyline coming out of day three. It feels like we had our first serious title contender. When I say serious title contender, look, I think Daniil Medvedev's pedigree on clay courts, no one was going to make him the favorite entering this event. But given the fact that he had just won Rome, given the fact that 2023 saw Daniil Medvedev put together his best clay court season, I would argue, of his career, I certainly had him as an inner circle contender. I imagine many of my fellow tennis prognosticators, tennis intelligentsia members did as well. I imagine many of you fans had him on your short list of players who you felt could, if not win this title, certainly make a quarterfinal, semifinal type run, right? Hold seed at the very least. Well, Medvedev got knocked out in round number one in five sets by Shabethville. And again, I apologize. I'm going to be butchering his pronunciation of his last name. I tried listening to him say it on the ATP pronunciation guide. And whether that, rather than just saying it a bunch of... I'm just going to call him TSW. I think that's the realization I've come to here as we start today's show. Uh, TSW, while he faces serious, serious allegations of domestic violence off the court, and certainly that is something that has hovered over him over the course of the past year and a half, two years that he's been on tour... It's also no denying that TSW has always been an immense tennis talent. You go back to his winning of the Junior U.S. Open back in 2018. The fact that he did have early success in his career, winning an ATP 250 title in Santiago before he had turned 20 years old. So he was a teenage title winner. Obviously, since those domestic violence allegations came up and as he's been dealing with that off the court, His results on the court have plummeted. That said, clearly here in 2023, from a tennis perspective, he has corrected the ship. And look, TSW was excellent in his victory over Medvedev yesterday. The uh, today, excuse me. The see now mixing up days two and three. The the patience, the poise, the shot selection, the game plan. I want to talk about all of it a little bit today as, again, TSW knocks out Daniil Medvedev, really our first inner circle title contender, in my opinion, to be eliminated at this 2023 French Open. That said, while he was the highest seed eliminated thus far, boy, do the women's seeds just keep on falling. And I know I mentioned this in my podcast covering day two of this event, but on day three, you had another six seeds knocked out of the tournament. Someone I considered an inner circle player as well in Barbara Krejcikova. Now, it was the fringes 
of the inner circle, given particularly it's more of an inner triangle on the women's side with Sviantec, Sabalenka, Rabakina all clearly ahead of the rest of the field. But look, losing Krejcikova feels significant, particularly given that she went out two and four to Serenko. You had Bianca Andreescu, always a wild card in every event that she plays. She gets an impressive three-set victory over Victoria Azarenka. You had players like Diane Perry, Jasmine Paulini, Wang Xinyu, Petra Martic, all knocking off seeds throughout the course of the day. 14 seeds knocked out of the women's field through round one of play. That feels, you know, again, while we talk about things slowly but surely settling at the top, that parody, the chaos, that's what we've come to expect uh, at these Grand Slams, at least over the past half decade, right? This post-Serena era as we try to jockey for positioning on the WTA Tour, certainly that's led to some chaos. And I think that theme of chaos has persisted specifically in the women's singles draw here at the 2023 French Open. But look, I mean, Medvedev's knocked out. You had Miamir Kesmenovic knocked out on the day. But more broadly, you set the record, or I think it was the most, what, Grand Slam. I saw it on Opta Ace, and I'll look this up as we go. But we had 21 five-set matches in round number one. 21 five-set matches. That doesn't happen very frequently. And in fact, according to our friends at Opta Ace, the opening round of the men's singles at Roland Garros this year finished with 21 five-set matches, surpassing 1992 as the most uh, five-set first-round matches at a single Grand Slam event in the history of the Open Era. History of the Open Era. 21 five-set matches in round one. I said this after day two, if you listened to our earlier podcast, that... It felt like we had had a wave of five-set matches, maybe even at a higher frequency than it felt like earlier. Well, turns out I was on to something. Turns out we were all on to something, right? As you could just feel 21 five-set matches. And, you know, again, there were some gems, whether it was the match of the day, Gael Monfils from four love down in that fifth set to listen to the crowd rally behind Gael, a Gael who hadn't won a match since having a kid and hadn't won a match since leaving the tour due to injury, a guy who I saw compete at the Phoenix Challenger. He was a shell of himself. You really, watching him play, you started to think just physically, why is he still putting himself through this when you could just tell something was off and he was not where you need to be to be a top 100 tennis player and to see a guy in Gael Monfils who his career has been defined by his elite, dare I say, once-in-a-generation physicality. It just it didn't feel right to watch him go out on these terms, but God, did it feel right watching him compete yesterday from four love down again in the fifth. He takes a 7-5 fifth set over Sebi Baez. Tough loss for the young Argentinian. That moment is what makes tennis special. That crowd, the just uh, the wave of adrenaline Monfi, who was clearly cramping down the home stretch, felt to pull through that match. We'll talk about the tennis we saw. Want to talk about that one as well. But again, you had what? One, two, three, seven, five set matches on the men's side. Excuse me, nine five set matches on the men's side yesterday. Today, I'm going to get the grammar right eventually. On Tuesdays, round three. Absolutely ridiculous. A lot of fun matches, a lot of cool winners. And then, of course, you had top seeds looking the part, right? The Igas, the Rabakinas, the Caspers, the Holgers, the Americans. Quietly a pretty solid day on the men's side. Their first good day, I would argue, of the tournament comes here on Tuesday. I think day three is when we finally say to ourselves, okay, 
Now we're in a major. Now this tournament is really rocking and rolling. Again, I thought it was a really weird first two days. And if you missed any of them, any of the action from it, you can obviously catch up on everything here on this mini break podcast feed. As I alluded to in our day two recap pod, we will have daily episodes recapping it all for all of you Cracked Rackets fans. We're also going to start with our daily previews as well. I'm bringing back our GSP Ace of the Day segment for all of you Cracked Rackets fans in case you want to hear some predictions, you want to perhaps put your knowledge to the test, make some picks yourselves. We'll see how we do the rest of the tournament, but GSP Aces of the Day will start back up tomorrow. Again, we'll have mini break podcast recapping every day of the tournament here on this show. And yes, I do promise the texts have been sent. We're getting all the schedules lined up. I'm going to have some guests join me as well to help break down all the second major of the year action. All of that said, again, today's focus I think it is going to be more of a rapid fire sort of podcast. I've got a bunch of takes to fire at you all after watching. I've been binging pro tennis these past 72 hours. Just a lot of matches, a lot of highlights, a lot of different thoughts I want to share with all of you through these first three days. I think I've been pretty reflective in the first two podcasts, so perhaps we'll get a little more nitty gritty detail oriented here today. But again, After this show, I want all of you listeners to feel like you are caught up on everything that happened in round number one, and you're ready to turn the page for what should be a really fun final six rounds of this 2023 French Open. That said, of course, the reason we're able to record these shows day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, and of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest items in the tennis world. With that said, let's get into what was a very interesting day three at the 2023 French Open. And look, again, the place we have to start is with TSW knocking off Daniil Medvedev in three sets to, I mean, see Medvedev lose the first set 7-6. I've seen Daniil Medvedev lose a lot of sets over the years. To see him win the third set 6-2 and be up two sets to one, you just thought to yourself, all right, this match is over. Medvedev's got him in the torture chamber. TSW, yes, he's a very good clay court player. Yes, that's where his title came from, but 175 in the world. I do think he's thinned out quite a bit since he was in his late teens, early 20s. He just has a far more athletic body than he once did. But I thought Medvedev had him in the torture chamber. I thought Medvedev was just moving in and out of the outer thirds, moving the ball around the court, spreading the court, baiting TSW to take inopportune or take chances at inopportune times or inopportune court positioning. And look, sets three and four, TSW planted the flag and said, no, you know what? I'm done making unforced errors. Daniil, you generate something to try to beat me. And you look in sets four and five, I mean, set number four, 12 unforced errors for Medvedev, 10 for TSW. Set number five, 12 unforced errors for TSW, eight for Medvedev. But you look at the winner total, TSW 14, Medvedev only nine. TSW just got really, really patient down the home stretch. And Look, this has been the continued theme for Daniil Medvedev on clay courts. This has been the Achilles heel, I should say, for him throughout the course of his career, is that it's a little bit harder for him to generate pace, for generate his own generate his own, uh, generate his own opportunities on these clay courts because he does hit a flatter ball, because he is more reliant on absorbing, redirecting your pace, beating you to the spot. Now, that said, there's a degree of physicality Daniil Medvedev introduced 
into his clay court tennis life here this year and his ability to slide into shots, slide into his corners instead of sliding out of shots and having to recover that much more. He became far better as a mover on clay here in 2023, far more comfortable. I do think he actually is doing better at generating pace on his forehand wing, Medvedev, than he did early in his career. But look, clay courts is never going to be a surface that will be easy for Daniil Medvedev because it is a little bit harder for him to generate opportunities on his own. And that's where TSW killed him here today. TSW said, all right, you know what? I'm not going to go full rip on this inside out forehand. I'm just going to go a little deeper and a little more towards the sideline. This next forehand, a little deeper and a little bit more towards the sideline. And now you have Medvedev pulled so far off the court. Case in point is the match point where he goes forehand inside out, forehand inside out, forehand inside out, forehand inside out. And that fourth one was where you felt like he really could have turned inside in. But no, he waited for the perfect opportunity to do so. And then the inside in winner, he ripped on match point, I mean. Absolutely laughable. And look, they were even plus one tennis wise, zero to four shot rallies. Medvedev won 91, TSW won 88. You look at the five plus shot rallies, that's where TSW plus seven overall in the match. And, you know, as you look at set number five, TSW really separating himself there, um, particularly in the five to eight shot rallies. That was, I would say, the big separation between the two in that final set is just. See, you know, TSW was patient, as he needed to be. And, I mean, look, fundamentally, his ground strokes have always been fine, you know, fine. And his ability to turn into a forehand, the racket speed he's able to generate, how easy that inside-out, inside-out, inside-in combination is for him on this surface. The fact that despite how gritty these courts are, despite the constant complaints we hear from everyone about how difficult it is to generate pace with the balls that they've elected to use at Roland Garros, generating pace is not an issue. For, uh, for TSW, and I think, again, most importantly, the, the biggest thing you see if you watched him early in his career versus now is just how much more fit he has become over the course of this past, I don't know, six months, or really last off season. and I mean, again, this is a guy who in 2022 was really struggling, 21 and 27 overall, you know, played primarily at the challenger level after starting his year off playing 250s and playing all those South American clay court events. Obviously, again, he's won a South American clay court event in his career. So you figured, okay, maybe this is the time where 22 years old last year, like this is where he really leaps. Well, he didn't. Last year was a major step backwards. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, again, he faces serious uh, charges of domestic violence off the court, charges that he was justifiably asked about in his post-match press conference. And, you know, there were reports, shout out to Yannick Schneider doing his job as a journalist, asking the tough questions. There were reports that his team, his team meaning TSW's agent, et cetera, accosted Schneider after the fact and, you know, criticized him for asking such questions. That's Bush League. That's BS. You know, that's bullshit. I'll just say it straight up um, because that's Yannick Schneider just doing his job and doing a journalist job. And Tiago Sabathville should be prepared to answer questions about, again, such a, uh, an accusation so serious in nature. And yes, I understand this was the biggest moment of his career, and certainly he wants to celebrate the tennis at that fact, but Yannick Schneider's just doing his job. And any sort of, you know, again, criticism for the question, any sort of criticism from TSW's team, that's just, that's just unacceptable. That's not how life or the relationships with the media is supposed to work. And so, again, anyways, all that is to say, you look for TSW 
unequivocally the biggest win of his career. You look for him at the majors overall now in his career. This is the first time he's advanced past a first round. He comes through qualifying, by the way, to get to the main draw. Good wins over Bellier, uh, over Antoine Bellier, Barankas, and Kofor even to get into the main draw. And, you know, again, after last year, 21-27 and 27 overall. How about this? 2023 only, T- uh, TSW, 37-10. and 10. 37 and 10 overall this year. Every match has been played on clay courts. Let the record show. So again, I don't think it should be surprising to so many of us to see him have this sort of success. He's won multiple challenger titles uh, on clay, including this year, a a challenger title win in Buenos Aires, as well as Vina del Mar uh, in March and May, uh, in March and April, respectively. He's had to build back up his ranking. Again, he had a really rough 2022 on the court and uh, credit to him. He he thoroughly has 37 and 10 overall with this victory. You look for him now in terms of live rankings. He's up 32 spots to number 140, but maybe more indicative of, of his level this season. You add all the challenger success again, 37 and 10 overall. He's 77 in the points race. Level-wise, you saw his forehand. You saw the discipline, his ability to drive inside in, inside out. And that forehand's the moneymaker. It is a little bit of a bigger backswing, but certainly on this court and this surface, he's got plenty of time to get into it. It'll be interesting to see where the 23-year-old Brazilian goes from here, of course. Again, that uh, it's it's a serious allegation looming over him in this domestic violence charge. And you read more into it, it sounds like Brazilian authorities have tried to issue subpoenas to him to offer uh, to be able to question him and look into the case. And he's just never at the address he's supposed to be at when those subpoenas are trying to be delivered. And again, that's unacceptable. That's not That's not how our systems of law work. In this world, it's serious questions he's going to have to answer. There's also no denying he delivered the most significant result of the tournament thus far uh, with his five-set win over Dino Medvedev. And look, if you're Medvedev, yeah, this is devastating. You had your best clay court season of, of your career. You know, quarterfinals Monte Carlo, round of 16 Madrid, title in Rome, first clay court title of his career. Beat Runa, beat Tsitsipas, beat Zverev, beat... You know, Senego, all these different guys on his way to the title. And by the way, let's not forget, that was coming off of winning Miami. That was coming off of winning, uh, making the finals of Indian Wells. And, you know, here in 2023, Medvedev's the wins leader, 39-6 and six overall, even after his loss here to um, TSW. It's a disappointment. But guess what? Like, after falling outside of the top 10 that first week of February, Medvedev is right where he wants to be going into a grass court season where he's always had success and going into a summer hard court season where he's made his bones over his career. And, you know, even with this first round loss, Medvedev still right now number one in the points race, but perhaps most pressingly, he's still within a thousand points of an Alcaraz, of a Djokovic, of, you know, again, if one of Djokovic or Alcaraz, if Djokovic wins the title, Medvedev's 1,400 points behind him heading into the grass court season, heading into the uh, summer hard courts. If Alcaraz wins the title, now life gets a little bit trickier for Medvedev as he's 2,300 points behind Alcaraz. And yes, there are a couple of Masters events in the U.S. Open still to come. And Alcaraz has a ton of U.S. Open, obviously 2,000 points to defend there. Medvedev's back on the trot for world number one. He did his job through the first five months. And yeah, this is a really bitter ending to what was, again, probably his best start to a season, 39-6 and six in his career. But you don't hang your head on it. Like, you know, in the theme of I know Taylor Swift concerts are happening across the globe and everyone's all in on T-Swift. 
in that theme, like t- Taylor, you shake it off and you're like, let's go into grass season. Let's get rocking and rolling. And so I'm not worried tactically. I'm not worried long term. It's one bad result in a prominent spot, no doubt about it. But if you're asking me coming out of 2023, how has my perception of Daniil Medvedev changed on clay courts? It's changed for the better. This was a an unexpected loss, which I think is the highest compliment I can say to the, to the improvements he's made. But look, it's our first loss, in my opinion, again, of a top five contender on either the men's or women's side. And I suppose that loss was matched by a top five women's contender being knocked out in Barbara Krejcikova. And with that said, let's move on to some of the other things that happened on day number three of this 2023 French Open. Six more seeds knocked out on the day, most shocking of which was obviously Barbara Krejcikova, who lost two and four to Lucia Saranko. And all due respect to Saranko, who has played good tennis throughout the course of her career, is always a tough out. But two and four? I mean, it just was a bad clay court season for Krejcikova, who won fewer than 50% of points on serve in this match, who hit 32 unforced errors against 17 winners, who was just 6 of 7 at the net and never got the chance to move forward because she kept missing the approach shot. She was bad. She was just off. And credit to Serenka, who was up for the challenge physically, kept the ball in play, did en- generate enough depth that there weren't just easy approach shots for Krejcikova to easily find her rhythm in, in set number two. But it's a bad loss for Kretsch. The draw was wide open for her uh, to make, I mean, not a run to the title, but just kind of reassert herself as like, no, I get that there's a big three and they might have separated themselves a little bit from me, but you saw what I could do in Osterva, you saw what I can do in the Middle East, and now we're back on clay courts and I'm in the mix. She really wasn't in the mix these past few months. And Look, again, this is a former French Open champion. Like, this is someone who has shown she can beat the best players in the world at the biggest events. It's a bad loss. I don't know how else to say it. Credit to Serenko. That, that, it felt like I know I'm not doing a full breakdown the way I did for TSW. It's because at least Medvedev had a shot. Like, Medvedev was up two sets to one. Medvedev, to, uh, for all of the boldness I say about TSW's patience, the match was played on Medvedev's terms. He was grinding and, you know, again, every point, five, six, seven shots per rally. That's what Medvedev wants to be doing. There was just no rhythm from Krejcikova from start to finish in this match. Again, all due respect, she did not deserve to advance. Now, I will say, the level between Andrescu and Azarenka, I have this under my upset category on my outline for today. It wasn't an upset. These two are top 25 good. I mean, where's Andrescu in the rankings right now? She's currently sitting at 37. Vika currently sitting at 18. Like, yeah, and that's a first-round match? What are we doing here again? Uh, it's a really tough draw for Vika, who came out firing, who just BB was bad in the corners to start the match. She was sliding into things, but they were kind of hopeless slides. They were kind of quitting on the point slides. And you know, it was interesting. There was a call Azarenka didn't really like at the end of the first set that seemed to frustrate her while at the same time sort of wake up Bianca Andreescu. And look, her weapons on this surface... Her ability to find the short angle cross court and generate that ball with heavy topspin to just open up easy down the line angles. Her first step on this surface, I talked about the movement being a little lazy in set one, but her natural ability and sliding into her shots on this surface. I actually think Bianca Andreescu's best surface moving forward, if she's really fit, really healthy, give her three months on clay, watch that ball explode through the court. Like, I know that is the hottest of hot takes, 
considering she's a U.S. Open and, what, Indian Wells champion, Miami finalist. But, like, could Clay Courts be Bianca Andreescu's best surface moving forward? That would be the argument Skip Bayless and Stephen A. would have on First Take on the Tennis Channel or whatever equivalent of a tennis First Take show if it existed. And tweet at Tennis Channel. Tweet at I Am Panda. Let them know that me and Gil Gross would do a great rendition of tennis's version of First Take because I really do think we would. Um, anyways, BB looked great. She looked fit. I, I was watching the match with my younger brother here in Michigan. Nick was like, dude, like, is Bianca Andreescu really good again? And I was like, Nick, I think she might be. Like, it just – why I always bring in Nick's references is because he's a little less trapped in the tennis bubble than we are. And when he says something that I've been stewing on my brain uh, – that's been stewing on my brain, but I'm sometimes concerned that like, uh, is that a real take or is that a – you're kind of bored and you've been saying the same thing for two months and you just want to fire this take out to try and be interesting sort of thing – that's what I'm always debating in my head, in case all of you were wondering at home. But when Nick Ruskin walked in and was like, dude, Bianca Andreescu, it, it, it confirmed my theory that, again, there are 15 minutes in every Andreescu match where you're just like, where your jaw's on the floor. Where you're like, yeah, no shit you want to slam as a teenager. Like, yeah, this is a player who, if healthy, should be in the conversation at every big event that she plays. I don't know. At the same time, like, it was really fun tennis. Credit to BB. She looked really good in this win. And again, with the draw opening up everywhere across the board, you look for Bianca Andreescu now. Emma Navarro in round two. I love you, Emma. Former University of Virginia All-American, former NCAA singles champion in 2021, and a three-set winner herself in the first round. Andreescu's the favorite there. She'll be the favorite over Davis Serenko if that's the third-round match. And then a potential Iga Andreescu fourth-round thriller. Sign me the f*** up for that. Sorry for swearing, but, like, that is really good. I don't know if it gets better than that, if that's what we ultimately end up getting. And so I would say of the six upsets, that one felt the most significant and also the least upsetish. I'd also say Petra Martic in three sets over Shelby Rogers. I don't know how much of an upset that is. Martic is the better clay court player, the more comfortable mover. Her slices just got the ball out of Shelby's strike zone. At the same time, Shelby's power... Keeps her competitive in every match. That match screened three sets going into it. It finished in three sets. That was a fun one. Wang Xinyu, God, does she just have firepower? The young Chinese, te- uh, no longer teenager, three uh, straight sets, excuse me, over Boshkova, who just struggles to generate. Boshkova is Medvedevian in her just inability to generate pace on this surface. And so, not particularly surprising. Paulini in three over Kirstea. Again, tomato, tomato. And Helena Kalanina talked about her struggles physically, talked about her struggles with her family calling her right before and saying, hey, our city in Ukraine just got bombed by Russia and the distraction. You imagine all of these Ukrainian players are feeling match in, match out. You just can't even imagine what it's like to walk on court with all of that looming behind you. She gets knocked out. I'm not making excuses for Kalanina. I also would say Diana Perry is just a former world junior one, number two, number one. I've been on the Perry bandwagon for at least 24 months now. Like, just go check the film. And there's just not a ton of women with one-handed backhands. She is one of them. She plays the slice so well. She finds her forehand so well. She gets into the net so efficiently with her footwork. I'm in on Diane Perry. I know she's been hanging in that 80 to 107 range in the rankings now for about, I don't know, a year. But she's also still just 20 years old. Like, I'm just telling you, the athleticism, the springiness, how she goes after her forehand and gets forward, 
the, Diana Perry's going to make, I mean, she's already made third round at a French Open before. Now she's back into the second round. But Diana Perry is going to be a fixture in our lives, folks. I don't think it's top 10 good because the backhand is a little bit weak. It, it sits up and she doesn't have that overwhelming size or weapon like some of her younger peers do. But she's going to be really good for a really long time. And this will victory two and three over Kalanina, particularly on clay courts when she has a little bit more time to get to her forehand. It's just a reminder of that fact. But look, 14 seeds knocked out on the women's side through round one of competition. Those seeds, Sakri, Kvitova, Kudermatova, Bencic, Krejcikova, Pliskova, Azarenka, Lynette, Kalanina, Trevisan, Jungshui, Kirstea, Bozhkova, Rogers, Parity. It's the name of the game on the women's side, and that's what we continue to learn through the first round of play at Roland Garros. Of course, on the men's side, I mentioned TSW over Medvedev. Vavasori, 5-7-2-6-7-6-7-6-7-6. Talk about a brutal beat for Miamir Kasmenovic. You lose three straight tiebreakers. If he brings a single stick with him, to the grass court season and didn't destroy all of them and crack racket after racket in frustration after that loss, then he is mentally tougher than all of us here. And so, God, can you imagine? Five, seven, two, six, and then in every set, you put six games on the board, you're unable to walk away with a single tie break. Yeah, I'm breaking every racket in my arsenal. Like, that's why, thank God, I wasn't good enough to do that. By the way, I'll just say it because it needs to be addressed. I'm well aware if there was a fourth Gruskin brother who was evil, who rebelled against my parents, who got tattoos, who somehow got athleticism from my parents, I'm well aware he would look like TSW. I am well aware. I've gotten all the texts. Tiago Sabathville looks like me if I was evil. He actually looks more like a cross between me and my older brother. Like if you knew my older brother well and you crossed his hair and like boxish nature of his face with my warm inviting, loving eyes and beautiful cheeks and freckles. Um, Yeah, he would be the evil Gruskin doppelganger. It's like evil Timmy Turner. Uh, That's TSW. He's evil Gruskin brother. Um, But anyways, those are your upsets and seeds knocked out through round one. Medvedev, really the only significant one. Again, FAA has been injured. Evans, Struff, but Struff five sets to Lechechka, not that bad. BVDZ, Shelton, Kesmenovic, Zapata, Morales. Again, like Pretty straightforward, I would argue, through the first round on the men's side. of. Th- I, I just feel like the best action is still ahead, I suppose, in the men's singles draw. Uh, best action is still ahead in the women's singles draw, by the way, as well. We've just seen more of the chaos ensue earlier, and we've been treated, I suppose, to more fun early on on the women's side of things. That said, again, rapid fire through everything else that happened. Here are the matches that went the distance. Coco Golf escaped. Her forehand was a mess in the opening set, but physically, the serve, the backhand, her ability to problem solve and take the net away from Masarova and just do other things to be successful. She gets a three-set win. Navarro, a three-set win over the younger Andreva, or maybe the older Andreva. She played one of the Andrevas, And then uh, Osian Doden, three sets over Genesevich. And so, again, three women's matches additionally go the distance other than Paulini, Martic, uh, and Andrescu. On the men's side... Nishioka from two sets to love down, one six six three six four six three six three over J.J. Wolf. Neither guy's going to ever thrive on this surface. It's a nice win for Nishioka to at least hold seed and advance past the American. Other five-set winners, Olivieri, 
Pea. Rusevori gets a much-needed three-set win. Yannick Hanfman, how about that? He doubles down from his Rome success. He gets a five-set win over Diego Montiero, further consolidates his spot in the top 100. And again, Yannick Hanfman, I want to say 31, 32 years old. He's going to make more money this year than he's made in his pro career prior. Always a good thing. Uh, for the former USC All-American, maybe the most underrated college tennis player of the 2010s. We can have that discussion a different time. Zeppieri, a five-set winner. And then, I know I mentioned this earlier, four love down. Gets broken at four all, so he's down 5-4 in the fifth. Gael Monfi, 3-6, over Sebi Baez. To hear the crowd chanting... It felt like a soccer match, like I, I don't know, or a football match, I suppose, as they would say in Paris. It's just special. I've begged. We just don't get crowds like that in America. I'm sorry, but we're not as good at it. Like we need to be better as fans, as a people of embracing players the way the French embrace their own. Like we need to do that as Americans for we, I say we, not that I'll be in the fan section cheering because again, unbiased, impartial. I'm now covering it all from afar, but American tennis fans need to do this for uh, the, I would say, Tommy's, Francis's, Taylor's, Coco's, Pagula's, Keys. Like, we just don't get after it. We don't have marching bands in the crowd. We don't have chants we turn to. You know, again, it's like, we're just not as good at it. I don't know how else to say it. Like, this is why I will always love college tennis more than any other level of tennis. Because college tennis fans, they get partisan. They have fun with it. It's no different than Barcelona versus Madrid when you go to UNC versus NC State match in that final. Like Those are fans who know how to get loud, who know how to impact a tennis match in the best possible, in a positive way for their teams. Americans don't do that at pro events. Like Serena, Serena. So of course she always got love. It's really the only example I can think of, like where Serena Williams crowd would be a crowd that can push someone over the top. But outside of that, like, that's it. And we're better than that as fans here in America. I've been to the big house, uh, not the best example, but I've seen LSU. I've seen Alabama home games. I've seen the swamp. I've seen really good college tennis played across the country with some really rowdy fans. I've seen the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus get out. They don't lose in Columbus because the fans are so great. Columbus is not that far from Cincinnati, which is where these pro players will be playing later this summer. Let's make a Monfils-type crowd for an American there. Just imagine Ben Shelton in the fishbowl at Cincinnati, that underground, not underground, but that undercurrent court or whatever, however you want to describe it, dug in court, and there's just American chants on top of him making it feel like a football game. We don't do that enough, and we need to. And watching Monfi do it, uh, the French crowd do it for Monfi. It's what makes this sport so special. It was, it was awesome. I got nothing else to say beyond it was everything you hope for as a tennis fan. That said, those are your matches that went the distance. We'll sprint through the other results, and as soon as we get to the obviously round number four in the second week, we'll spend more time hopefully with the top seeds. But like Iga, Rabakina, Jabur, they all looked like themselves. Iga in straight sets, Rabaka in straights, Jabur in straights. Neither of them lost more than six games total throughout the course of a match. They were all dominant. I mean, again, Iga looked healthy. Rabakina looked healthy. Jabur looked healthy. Everyone looked good. I don't know how else to say it. Like the top women's seeds that survived, or at least the, the ones that matter, Iga, Rabakina, Sabalenka, 
and Jabur, I suppose, to some extent. Um, they looked the part, no doubt about it. And by the way, for Anne Jabur, she lost first round of the French Open last year. This is like the one spot left on the calendar where she can actually pick up points to try and make a push up the rankings. Four and one for her over Bronzetti in round one. Again, those were the only three seeds on the day who had things uncomplicated. They're the only three seeds to, for whom life was easy on Tuesday. Outside of that, your straight set winners, Andreeva. I saw the Andreeva sisters written about in the New York Times. We love siblings who are both good at the same sport. Andrevas seem like another. I again, the real question is, if I offer you stock in the Andrevas or the Fruvertovas, who are you taking and why? How you answer that question tells me a lot about you as a tennis fan. And so again, Andrevas versus Fruvertovas. I'm sure there's another set of sisters I'm currently blanking out on and missing, and I'm sure there are some brothers I'm blanking. I mean, the Sarandolos. Um, Look, we're all in on tennis siblings. The Andrevas seem like they're going to be a fun group moving forward as well. Your other straight set winners, Peterson, Saribes Tormo, who people just forgot about because she's been injured, but probably the dark horse underrated candidate in this draw. Lauren Davis, Claire Liu, a couple of American winners. Also had wins from Danilovic, Graber, and Naskova, Linda Naskova. I mean, it's when, not if, she's going to be a top 25 player in the world. And once she is, I don't think she's going to fall out of that top 25 until her career has finished. On the men's side, other men's results on the day. Rude looked as about as good as he's played, I don't know, maybe this entire clay court season. 4-3-2 win over Emer. Credit to Chris Eubanks did not play a ton of clay court tennis, and yet his serve is just a problem. It gives, you know, again, he's going to give opponents issues. And when he's serving well, now he can be aggressive on the return. He has a little bit more time to get run around the ball and get after his forehand on this red clay. And the ball bouncing up right into his strike zone certainly doesn't hit this, uh, hurt the 6-7 former All-American. And yet Holger's Holger. Four-set win for Runa. I mean, again, I think he's probably third on the list now. You probably have to go Djokovic, Alcaraz, in whatever order you're comfortable with. Runa Tsitsipas Sinner. I would say that's your top five, unequivocally, with Medvedev now knocked out. But hey, shout out to the Americans. Tiafo looked good on day two. Fritz, Paul, straight set winners. Fritz, 2-1-1 one, one over Michael Moe. Paul, 3-2-4 and four over the always dangerous, big-hitting lefty Dom Stricker. Good wins. A couple of good wins for the Americans. Meanwhile, Zverev threw in straight. Sarundalo threw in four. Dimitrov, 0-3-2. Men's seeds have looked apart. Again, it's been a very steady opening round of play for the top men's seeds, and that's why I'm so fascinated rounds two, three for the men's in, men in particular because I do think there's a big pile of players who are all equally good. Who's great? Who's going to step up? Who's going to separate themselves from the pack? We've been asking that question for about four years now. I think we get another data point of that question here uh, from Zverev, uh, excuse me, from this 2023 French Open, but those are your seed winners. Straight set wins for Molchan, Nicolas Yari, who has to be on your dark horse list as well. His serve, his forehand, I don't care who he's playing, it's going to keep him competitive. Rinder Kanesh gets a much needed win, Purcell threw in four sets as well. That's everything that happened at day three, and that concludes our coverage of the first round of the 2023 French Open. Now, I'm not sure when all of you are going to be hearing this podcast. Super producer Daniel Westoff's on the road as well. We've had a busy month of May, folks, and so he and I both trying to catch our breath. That said, I'm going to avoid the day four preview for now. Again, we will start our previews with day five tomorrow on our Great Shot podcast feed as we bring back our GSP Ace of the Day segment. But of course, again, you name it, every day. 
of this 2023 French Open. We promise we will have a recap for you of everything that happens on the grounds in Paris. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westa, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for, of course, as always, our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.